Hey, and welcome to another live episode of Tim Stating the Obvious. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the people first strategy. And what does that really mean? Uh, I found it interesting in the last couple of weeks in the news as I was reading some business articles and talking about, um, you know, people coming back to work and how there's a labor force short labor force shortage and people weren't understand why people weren't coming back to work. Well, in this episode, we're going to take a look at a couple of things that really kind of um, bring that home onto, hey, maybe why people aren't coming back uh, to work. So stick around for this episode. This is Tim Staten with Tim Stating the Obvious. What is this podcast about? It's simple. You are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's a church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday relatable and usable advice. All right, so for this episode, we're going to be talking about the people first strategy. But before we dig into that, uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the labor shortage that people are talking about. So I keep hearing, oh, the reason why, you know, people aren't going back to work is because unemployment is is paying more than people's salary or that, hey, you know, the reason why they're not going back to work is because, you know, X, Y, and Z reason. But I really found it interesting when I looked at a couple of surveys that uh, really were in kind of generational gaps. And when you looked at it, they, these businesses in, um, you know, technology, media, and people who could really uh, telework after, you know, coming out of a, you know, post-pandemic environment, and they they surveyed him and they said, hey, why is it that you don't want to come into the work? And why are you actually quitting when we're asking you to come back into the workplace? And so the real top key, uh, key answers to this were, one, 84% said that they didn't have to commute. And then 75% of the people said hey, you know, I'm actually saving a lot of money by teleworking and not having to go into work. Uh, and then 32% said, hey, you know, I'm not going to get exposed to COVID as much because I'll be in the house. I don't have to commute, take public transportation, or, you know, if you live in a heavily populated area, especially if you do a park and ride or a park and share, whatever it is that you do, uh, you're not going to be as exposed. And then 26% people said, well, you know, I'm going to be away from my family or my pets. And, you know, I found it more convenient being at home to take care of them. And this is what surprised me the most. 15% said childcare responsibilities. I was highly surprised. I would have thought that that would have been like the number one or the number two reasons why people didn't want to come back into the office and, and, you know, wanted to telework or people who were actually doing frontline workers, you know, the, those workers who stock the shelves, who drive the FedEx trucks, drive the UPS trucks, uh, those who have to go into hospitals and are, are those type of frontline workers. You really don't have a, a choice, but you have to go in uh, to work. But childcare is probably one of the most expensive things that as a parent and a worker that you have to pay for. Um, I know personally, we actually evaluate uh, when when my wife and I, we were talking about her going back to work. It's like, hey, you know, if if you we have to end up paying for child care, it might be more cost effective if you just didn't work because two thirds of your paycheck would be going to pay for child care just so you can go back to work. Now, I would obviously support it because if that's what something she's passionate about and wants to do, you know, hey, I, I completely support that. But at the same time, when you look at it, hey, it costs a lot of money for these daycares, especially now uh, when you're going over, you know, looking at the, um, you know, all of the health care requirements that they have to maintain with the disinfectants, the cleaning, the additional staff, you know, making sure that people are wearing masks, the social distancing and all the extra health care costs that go into keeping the children safe. Uh, according to the CDC standards and federal government standards, 
it's really more expensive now than than the pre-pandemic. So, uh, you know, I was expecting that to be a little bit higher. But really, people were saying, hey, it's more cost effective and I don't have to commute. And I really found that interesting because it does provide a lot of flexibility for the worker who doesn't have to actually go into work. Now, when they asked senior executives about, hey, why do you want people to come back into work? They were talking about the culture of the organization. And if you're watching, thank you for uh, tuning in. Really appreciate y'all listening. Um, But, you know, when they talked about, hey, it's important to maintain the culture of the organization and you can't do that through teleworking and and social distancing. You really have to come into the office. And in looking at it, they went back and said, okay, in order to maintain the culture of your organization, what is it that you think, how many days per week do you have, does, does somebody have to come in in order to get inculcated into the organization and maintain that organizational culture? And 6% said one to three days per month. And then 5% said one day a week. 15% said, um, you know, two days per week. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Um, and three days a week was 29%. And then it goes down to four days a week was 18%. But five days a week was 21%. So the two highest percentages between three and five days. And I was really shocked by that uh, because, you know, 5% said, hey, you know, employees don't need to come into the office to maintain, you know, company culture. And, and Eric, if you have a, a story or something you want to share or anything that comes to mind for you, uh, I'd be really interested in what you have to share on this topic because it affects everybody uh, as people. So, you know, as we we look at that, People are saying in order to maintain your company culture between three to five days a week, you actually have to be in the office to maintain that. And that's something that I highly disagree on. And it depends on the job. So it may sound kind of double double sided. But what I mean by that is if you have a good policy as an organization and you incorporate your values of your organization, of your company, into your policies, then inherently anybody who works for you, no matter where they work in that organization, are going to be buying into the culture of the company. Because if they don't buy into the culture of the company, then they're not going to end up doing their job. You know, so Because that's going to be built into the company policy and strategy. So when you take a look at it, you say, okay, you you have to come into work. You have to maintain this this level of indoctrination and inculcation for your organization. But when do we draw that line? When do we tell people, you know what? Really, we only need to see you once a month. And as long as you're checking in online and you're talking to your coworkers and you're working on the projects together, you'll be good. But when do we draw that line? And, and for me, I don't, I'm a little bit unsure. And I say that because it depends on the job. Um, you know, so again, if you're a frontline worker and you have to work in, let's say a hospital, there's, there's no way that you can remotely work and, and do your job. You actually have to go in. That is a people driven organization. The people come to you for healthcare and the workers there are usually very empathetic people people-oriented workers, and they want to do the best job they can to help people feel better, to get people well, and so they can get up on their own two feet and go on and do great things in their life. So that's one one stance. On the other stance is COVID really brought to light that you could actually do your job from your house, you know, technology has evolved. It's not like it used to be in the early 2000s. And I say that 
because uh, again, I, I've mentioned this in other episodes. I remember having to take the house phone off the hook just to plug it into my computer and use dial-up. But then if I was on the phone, if I was on the internet, nobody could call the house. You know, and cell phones back during that time were also, some of you may remember, uh, regional, right? So each state had their own cell phone plan. And if you cross state lines, you may have lost service and you had to pay extra money for roaming and all this other stuff. And we've we've evolved a lot since then. Uh, and, and believe it or not, that was really late 2000s. Uh, sorry, late 1990s, early 2000s. And then past that, you know, we, we've grown as a technology rich uh, country and really globalized uh, since 2001, 2002. The world's gotten a lot smaller. So you can you can work almost anywhere. Um, and during covid businesses found a way they saw a need that they still need to operate. They saw the need for people to continue to still work and provide a service during a pandemic. And they provided information technology uh, to enable that to happen. Um, you know, I, I remember getting on the phone during uh, calling, you know, my cell phone provider and asking them some questions about my bill that happened during that time. And, you know, it would be interesting because the guy was in his house and I could hear the dog barking in the background and he was super nice. And he was explaining to me that he had like 24 hours uh, since they told him, hey, we got to shut down. You can't come into work. We're going to overnight you an IT package to your house. Call this number and they'll help you set it up so we can make sure it's all secure. You know, within 24 hours, you figured out how to do that to maintain a service. Hey, and Eric, I'm reading your uh, comment here where you said the only hospital employees who'd be able to work remotely are upper management and business office employees, doctors, nurses, nursing assistants, techs, therapists. Uh, from different departments and janitorial cafeteria staff would have to be in person. And I agree with you on that. Uh, but the question I would pose to that uh, part is, is how often would the management need to come in to ensure that the culture of the company was still running properly? You know, would they have to be there every day? Would they have to be there three days a week? So, they telework two days a week. They go into the office three days a week to maintain that pulse uh, and get that face-to-face interaction. Because as this was real, what we're really talking about is a people-first strategy. And and we're getting there. I'm kind of going the long-winded stream to get there. Yeah, I agree with you. Two or three days would be a thing. Um, you know, so as we as we look at um, getting back into information technology and remote working people have found flexibility and even myself um i i work in an organization where they demand me to come in every single day and i could literally do my job anywhere i could do my job at the house i could do my job at the beach i could do in the mountains i could do literally do my job anywhere as long as i have an internet connection and a phone and now that you know, people are getting more vaccinated and they're telling people to come back to work more. I'm even starting to question, well, why do I actually have to go into a brick and mortar building when I can actually do it remotely? And it doesn't even affect my job performance by not physically being there other than the upper level management likes it to be that way because that's the way it's always been done. And so we're seeing this disconnect. And it's not just in my organization, it's in a lot of organizations. And in the last week, I've read about 30 articles about the generational disconnect between, um, you know, people who are in their more senior years, who are used to going to the office every single day and used to that face-to-face interaction. I mean, I currently even have bosses where if I call them on the phone, the communication between person to person is a little bit more difficult because things get misunderstood. So I end up actually having to go to see that person in person and talk to them face to face. So that way I know what I'm communicating to them is understood and vice versa. So because of that generational gap, and I would call it, you know, 
uh, online literacy. It's a thing that, you know, we have to learn and the younger generations are definitely well ahead of it. Um, yeah, Eric, I'm reading your comment here, uh, but are the generations are really ahead into it? Uh, you said I don't work in the industry. If I, if I or a friend or a loved one would be patient, was a patient, I'd want quality care and staff with good bedside manners, making sure they're following the laws and regulations. No, I, I again, I completely understand with you on that too. Um, and it, it's important that managers actually do spot check um, those things. And, you know, I, I'm going to circle around to that here in a second because you bring up a good point uh, about data-driven decisions. So uh, as as a generational gap and we're learning the literacy and how to communicate and how to make sure that what we're saying is really understood by the other person at the distant end uh, who's receiving that, and vice versa is super important. And and I think there is a gen- generational uh, culture gap between, you know, what it is that the younger generations have grown up with technology, like from the time they're born, they've had some type of device in their hand versus the generation who's used to having half their life with no technology and the other half of their technology uh, of their life of their adulthood is exponentially grown in technology. So they've adapted to learn with it. And then you have this other generation who's more senior, who's had technology only in the business place. Oops, I actually hit the wrong button about that. Sorry about that. So they, they've actually had a typewriter or a fax machine or a computer that was just used for computer input and printed on a dot matrix printer, right? But it really wasn't connected to anything on the internet of things that we know today. So bringing all those people together in one work environment and COVID hits and really shines a light on where we are today is not where we've been, but we've been operating like we've been back in the day where technology didn't exist. And so Getting to your point, Eric, is that you talked about, you know, providing good bedside manners as leaders to make sure that culture is still there. If you take data driven decisions and you do um, spot checks and you get data points along the way when you come in two to three days a week and you, you know, remote the other times of the week, you can actually get really good random samples of data that will give you positive feedback or negative feedback. And then if you plot that over time, then you can realize, Hey, we need to focus on, on these areas more and these areas less when it comes to, you know, quality control and quality assurance of whatever it is that you're providing. And because you're not there every day, you're able to see more. And I think that will also give the frontline worker, too, a little bit more uh, ability to breathe and relax and feel like maybe maybe management isn't out here to get me. Maybe management is here to support me. Um, and, and so that really gets back to the people first strategy that we were talking about. And when we talk about what is people, you know, what is people first strategy? That is really how do you support the people that work in your organization to perform at the maximum optimal level so the organization can get the max benefit from their performance? It's not coddling to the employee. And and I, and I want to say it that way because I think a lot of people get those two misconstrued. You can still have standards and enforce standards without coddling and and bending on standards. But what you do need to take a look at, especially when we come into this environment, uh, they have, when I say they, uh, the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics have actually found more people are quitting their jobs being told to go back into the workplace than it is for them to just telework. You know, 
And so now that people are realizing I can really do my job from anywhere and I want that flexibility. So if my boss is going to demand and my organization is going to demand that I come in, I'm going to find a job elsewhere that is actually more flexible with me on this. And so it's just, I just find it interesting that there's, there's several thoughts out there that people are saying, well, and I say people, you've got lawmakers, you've got different business uh, VIPs and executives who have different approaches on things saying, well, people aren't coming back to work because, you know, unemployment's too high. It's cheaper for them to stay at home and collect an unemployment check than it's for to go into work. Some cases that may be true. Um, but when people are actually have a job, they've been teleworking, and now that we're going back to pseudo normal, people are quitting. And they're quitting after one or two days back in the workplace. And I think it could be because of a couple of reasons. When we talk about people first, it is the business putting more stock on tasks and objectives than they are on the people. And I think there's got to be a fine balance between the two. And what I mean by that is look at the restaurant industry. You know, a lot of people are saying, you're saying company, Eric, you're saying companies are offering a hundred dollars sign on bonus for people to work with them. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Uh, but I wouldn't doubt it. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, I went to a Buffalo Wild Wings and there was one waitress for the entire inside. There was a bartender and then you had the, uh, you know, the backline restaurant staff, you know, the cooks and everybody else in the back. And so, you know, you know one person for anyone that walks into, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. And is it because they're getting more on unemployment or is it because when COVID hit and they had to close down and find a new way to operate, they didn't value the people they had. Maybe it's because they showed those people, Hey, I value the bottom line dollar more than I value you as a person. Maybe it's because, um, you know, they didn't invest in people before COVID hit. Then people got unemployment they were making some money and they decided to take some online classes and to better themselves and to get ahead in life and not just be like, you know what? I, you know, I can do more than just this, whatever that this is. And I'm not saying that, you know, working at a restaurant is bad or working anywhere is bad because any type of work is good work. But, um, you know, I used to work at Chick-fil-A for six years and I loved working there. It was a great environment to work there. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting when people want to blame, when I say people, organizations and businesses and lawmakers want to blame people saying, well, it's unemployment is too high. That's why they're not going back to work. Why don't we take a look at the conditions that happen and apply that to the situation and maybe take a step back and go, well, maybe we didn't invest in the people more. Maybe we didn't show that we actually valued the people more. Because I know people who show up to work, they hate the job, they hate the tasks, but they love the people they work with and they love the people they work for. So they'll do whatever and they come into work because they enjoy the people. You know, People make an organization run and people are what interacts with your, um, with your end customer, right? So if you're an organizational leader, your whole job is to make sure that the people who are working in your organization have the right tools and talents and resources to be successful. And then it's that frontline employee worker who doing the execution arm of those tasks to make sure that they're giving the best service and quality to the end customer. Um, I, I watched a quick video from Steve Jobs back in the early uh, 2000s and you know, he was getting a lot of flack at one of his keynote speakers and he was talking about, he was like, Hey, you know, we could just produce any type of technology and put the technology out there and then say, okay, how do I take this technology and market it to the person? Well, I would, he goes, I want to, how think he thinks he said, he thinks, how does the customer, what do they want? 
And how are they going to interact with the technology? And let me get that to them. And then let me figure out how to reverse engineer what they're wanting, what they're looking for into something they need versus trying to come up with the technology and then trying to, you know, market them a technology. And I think we need to take that same approach when it comes to working the people. Instead of trying to find out how you can market your organization to get people to work for you, why don't you take a look at these are the people that we want to have in our organization. These are the values that we have in our organization. And these are the people that we want to work for us. So how do I reverse engineer that? How do I get those people to come to where we're at? And it was pretty obvious to me is that you have to provide the values and actually not just say you provide those values, but show tangible evidence of providing those values. Um, and it's not just with, with financial bonuses. Uh, you know, a lot of ways, you know, to have a people first strategy one, you need to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing and making sure that you gain alignment from the people that are working with you and make sure that everybody is congruent on these are the end goals that we want to achieve. And this is the end experience that the customer wants to get. So everybody's saying the same thing all the way across the organization. And then, you know, get the customer, get the, not the customer, but the uh, employees feedback on that. You know, how many times have you talked to an employee and somebody that works in an organization and not really asked them the question, hey, what is the biggest complaint that you've heard? Or what is the biggest issue that you're working for? Ask them, hey, what resources do you have and do you have what you need? You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, um, you know, so my wife, she's a phlebotomist and she carries this huge tray around when she goes around work and it, it gets heavy over time and she has to refill it, you know, all the time and she has to walk all over the hospital. And so I asked her, I said, Did, does everybody complain about this? And she was like, yeah, she was like, everybody is tired of carrying these big things around. And I was like, well, has your management thought about, you know, giving you like a cart that it could go on and giving every phlebotomist a cart? So that way you don't have to carry it. You can just push it around the hospital. You're not tired from carrying this thing around and you could draw blood better and it's more efficient. And she was like, she was like, no, nobody's ever asked that question. And so, you know, how many times have we asked the employee or the person working who interacts with the end customer, what is it that you don't have that you need to do your job better? You know, that's putting the people first because that allows them to one, be heard. So you may not be able to resource everything that an employee wants, but you should be able to resource everything an employee needs in order to accomplish their goals and objectives on the projects you've given them. And to do it to the best possible effort that they can bring to the table. So, you know, you got to make sure that they're heard and you have to follow up with that, not just in words, but in actions. I've heard so many times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do that. We'll go ahead and fix those issues. Three years later, there's still the same issues and no one's ever fixed it. They just said they were It's because you felt good at the time, but nothing ever happened. That erodes trust in an organization. You know, then you've got to recognize employees who are doing a really good job in providing that energy and focus into the alignment that you've created. Um, you know, what type of recognition services are organizations providing for employees? You know, I've been in some organizations where they recognize people for years of service. You know, every time the big one is a one year service, right? So usually you are out of the probationary period at the one year mark. So, hey, you've hit the one year mark. We're going to publicly recognize you in front of your team and for the organization in some type of way, give you a little like lapel pin or something to hang up on your wall. Say, hey, we appreciate you for being here for a year and you're doing what we need you to do. And we recognize that. And oh, by the way, we're going to recognize that publicly. Or maybe somebody does 
an above and beyond uh, measure at work. And they're really valuing, not valuing, but they're embodying the values of the organization that you want to, you know, breed throughout your organization. Recognize that and make it public. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have a big, uh, you know, show about it, but you can send out a company-wide email with the person's picture and a little brief thing, statement about what they did and how important it was and that you're proud of them and you really like to see more people emulate what this person's emulating. Uh, that recognizes employees. And I know some people are like, oh, I really don't want you know, to be recognized publicly. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that's true. But also at some basic level, you also like it when you're recognized for doing a good job, right? So I'd say everybody, you're you're a human being. Like my kids like being recognized. Hey, thank you for picking up that trash off the floor and putting the trash can. I really appreciate that. Hey, you know what? Your brother didn't do that, but you did. I really appreciate that. And the next thing you know, the brother's like, well, I, I want to put some trash in the trash can. Well, go ahead, put some trash in the trash can and make a big deal about it. It's the same thing, just on a bigger level. Right. So the other thing that really actually hit home for me personally today, and and yes, gratitude is a huge thing, Eric. Um, one thing that really hit home to me was having a genuine one on one with people that you work with, not just talking about business, not just talking about the task at hand or the objectives. You know, when was the last time that we sat down and talked with each other about, hey, how's your family doing? And and listen. And and ask questions about things that you're interested in about that person and their personal life. You know, if someone went on vacation and they come back to work, hey, did you have a good time on that vacation? Hey, how did that go? Did that go pretty well? Hey, what, what was the best thing? What was the most fun thing that you did? You know, it just start a conversation with people. And you know, one example about that today, and I was kind of embarrassed about it, is not that I was embarrassed about the story I'm going to tell you, but the implication of it at the end is, um, you know, this one one person I was talking with today, we got out on the topic of shaving, and he doesn't like to shave, and I was like, okay, I, I get it. I was like, you know, I used to hate shaving too, and... Um, I really, you know, didn't like to shave at all. The waking up in the morning and shaving was a chore for me and I just didn't like to do it. Uh, especially if you got razor burn and everything else was just, just not okay. And especially if it was cold that day, not fun either. And so I told him, I said, what really changed it for me was I went kind of old school with it. You know, I got my ceramic mug. I got old school shaving cream, which has all natural products in it, nothing that is chemical based. And you just get the mug nice and warm. You take a shower, you come out, you get some sandalwood uh, shaving lather, and you use your boreheads bristle brush and you just lather it on. And you get your double edged safety razor and you just kind of, kind of shave and you have a good day. And then afterwards, you put on your non alcohol based uh, shaving cream that also smells good. Not shaving cream, but uh, uh, after lotion and you after shave and you put it on and you rub it in. And I said, you know, if I do that in the morning, what used to be a chore really turned my turns my day around. It actually is an enjoyable event. I it's a little bit of my self pampering time where I get to shave. It's better for your skin, and you're not really working working that hard at it. And we had a like a conversation just about shaving. And he, at the end of the conversation, we talked for about 20, 30 minutes because he was interested in it. He was like, yeah, you know, I think I want to, you know, get the, get the beard off. And he was like, but I get bumps and I, it, it irritates my skin. And, and I was like, well, why don't you just try to shave and try it this way? And that might, that might help. I gave him some suggestions of some really good products that were also cost effective. Um, I said, Hey, you know, you get a year's worth supplies of, the Merker double-edged straight razors. And by the way, I'm not endorsed by anything I, of razors. I just said, it's just something I use. I said, you know, you know, the, the, the double-edged razors, like you get, you know, 
a year's worth for what you're paying for one razor in the store right now. If you go to you know your local supermarket or wherever, you know one of those pays for a whole year's worth of blades. And, and he was shocked. He was like, "Man, I didn't know about it." He's like, "You know, no one's ever talked to me about this." And I really learned something. He was like, "Hey, thanks." And then I was like, "Hey, I was like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I just like to share." And it was just something we were talking about. And then he, on his way out of the office, he was like, you know, he goes, I've worked for you for nine months. And I think this is the longest we've ever had a conversation. And, and that really hit me hard because I try to make sure that I have a, a personal connection with everybody that I work with. And um, when he said that, I was like, man, I was like, you know what? You're right. And I apologized to him. I said, I'm sorry. You know, that's my fault for not getting out more, not getting to where you work and talking to you more. And I was like, I'm sorry about that. Um, and and it really hit home uh, that we really need to be more personal with each other. And that may conflict with teleworking. So I would just challenge people that as you ask for different things of you say, oh, I want to telework, but I also want to have a personal connection. How do you build those personal connections? What key events are you going to schedule to make sure that those events happen, to make sure that everything is there to keep that one-on-one personal interaction? So you, you can't have them both, but you can have a fine balance between the two to show people that you genuinely care about them and what they're going through and what they're thinking about. All right. So another thing is is what we've briefed about, uh, talked about, you know, briefly is aligning employees to what makes the company successful. Right. So if letting somebody know what success looks like, and I've said this several times. Sometimes, you know, you may get frustrated with somebody because you may think that they're not contributing to the group, but they may not know how because you have not set that expectation and showed them how you may not have told them how that they can contribute to the team. And then you're going to get frustrated at them because they're not performing the way you want them to. When really, you know, as a as a leader, you did not set that expectation yourself for them. You didn't tell them what success looked like. You just said, do these things and then let them know how that individual success ties into the greater success of the company and how important it is that what they're doing is done correctly and done right and to the best standard, because it does have an overall effect on the end product to the customer, whatever it is. You know, I mean, how many times have you been disappointed when you got something and you're like, man. You know, I wish somebody would have taken a little bit more time on that, but you got to let people know how they can tie into success. Cause if you don't, don't get mad at them when, when they don't do what you're asking them to do, cause you haven't told them what success is. And then I've also found that people will work harder and better if they know how it affects the overall organization and how important their part is. Sometimes people don't realize how important it is that what they do and the effect it has on the end product. Here's a perfect example, right? So if you are, let's say it was a perfect example and I lost it off the top of my head. Sorry about that. Um, Here's an example. If you are working, I'll use Chick-fil-A as an example because I work, work for them for a long time. If you're working in the kitchen and you're breading chicken. If you don't bread that that chicken breast evenly, you put it in the milk wash, then you put it in, you know, the breading and you don't grind it in the pan the right way and if you don't lay it into the oil the right way, then they clump together. And when it clumps together, the chicken doesn't cook right. It doesn't get that crispy uh, goodness all around it, you know, that penal roll doesn't seep in the right way. And then the person who gets a sandwich is like, man, this sandwich tastes horrible. But the guy in the back is like, man, I'm just, I'm just breading the chicken and put it in the fryer just to keep up. When 
he just thinks this is my job. I'm just going to do this. But the end result is and he didn't put that sandwich together. He just made the chicken. But another guy at a different station is putting the buns together and all the other toppings that go on it and putting the bag in the chute and putting it up. But yet the initial where it started was so crucial to the end customer experience that it had to have happened that if he didn't do it the right way, it does affect the way it tastes. And that's just a very, very small, minute way. So when I became a team leader there uh, and I worked in the back, I would tell people, like, hey, look, I'm like, this is actually really, really important because no matter what anybody else does, if it doesn't taste good, it's because you didn't do it right. And every customer who comes here wants a good tasted chicken sandwich, especially if you're going to pay $6 for that chicken sandwich. Because if I pay $6 for a chicken sandwich, it better be darn good. You know what I'm saying? So make sure we do it right. And so I found that I was explaining to people how they tied in to the bigger success, the better they performed at it and the more eager they were to perform at it. Right. And that goes back into providing real time and honest feedback for people. You have to be able to be genuine with them. And you have to be able to let people know what they're doing well at and where we need to improve. But if you just come at them with, oh, this is just not where you're good at. You're not good at any of this. They're going to shut down because you haven't developed anything else in that. And they're just going to think, oh, he's just an I got you guy. You know, he's just a guy who's just going to come around and find out what I'm doing wrong to dock my pay to do whatever. He's just an I got you guy. When in reality... He's just trying to enforce a standard and provide feedback, but you got to develop that rapport. And then the last thing I would say on this topic is you can't just say it. You can't just put it on a strategy, on a piece of paper, on an info paper, push it out to your organization and say, we, you know, we love people. We're a people first organization. Really? When was the last time you did, you know, talent management? When was the last time you developed your people and sent them off to school to better educate them on the company's dime? When was the last time that you sat down with somebody that you didn't know to get to know them a little bit better? When was the last time that we actually publicly recognized people and did it for the things that we're trying to improve in the organization, highlighting people's successes? You know, I've been in lots of organizations where they say, oh, yes, people are the number one thing. Really? Because I think that you're just really after the bottom line. I think you're just really after getting these tasks done and you really don't care about the people. You're running everybody into the ground and you're not really giving much back. And then COVID happens and you wonder why people don't come back to work. Maybe you should look at your organization. So, and I agree with you, Eric, people need to be receptive to feedback on both ends, right? So, if you're giving someone feedback, you also need to listen because there's two sides to every story. And then somewhere in the mean is the, the truth, right? So there's what I perceive to be the truth. There's what that other person perceives to be the truth. And then being able to take a step back and look at, okay, what are the real facts and what is the real truth in this? And let's go after that. Absolutely. Giving and taking is a, is a very, very big part in uh, any type of relationship with people. But if you really want to get, you know, people to come back to your organization. And I think that as leaders, we need to start. Truth people don't want to hear our truth. People need to hear. Yep. That's also true. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to hurt some feelings, but hopefully, um, you know, we can do it in a way with some emotional intelligence that, you know, we can get over those hurdles. And so that people can be receptive and hear what you're actually saying. Um, but, you know, when we take a look at things and we say, hey, you know, we, we've got a problem in the market and it's because people don't want to come back to work. I think people want to come back to work. I think people want to work. I think people want to get back to being with other people. But why leave my comfort if I'm going to be treated like garbage? I mean, just think about that. And you may not think, no, I don't treat people like garbage. You may not intend to, but if you're constantly not focusing on the right things 
and people don't feel like they're valued. People feel like they're being abused in the workplace and it happens like it's unbelievable how much the perception is from some employees that they are not liked and that they feel stuck because they need the paycheck. But as soon as another job comes open, they're going to take it because that other job is going to probably be in a better environment than where they're in. And it may not be, but that's what they think. So if you're finding yourself in a bind between, you know, getting people back to work and kind of going over, Hey, what what is it that we want to get out of this organization? I would suggest look up on a people first strategy, look at other companies, see what they're doing right, see what they're doing wrong. Look at the data and and I'm a big data fan because numbers, you can skew them in statistics, but raw data doesn't lie. Raw data will tell you where you're at and where you stand. And if you have a problem with recruitment and you have a problem with high turnover, And turnover is the worst thing for any organization because it's going to take you six to nine months and two thirds of what you are paying the current person to onboard a new person. So things to think about. Um, So we've we've already hit about the 45 minute mark, a little bit longer than I usually do on my shows. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I really appreciate if you do that. Uh, We have a YouTube and a Facebook page. Uh, Tim stated in the obvious where we have videos that we post on different leadership topics. And if you could stop by and check those out, I would really appreciate it. And Eric, thank you for listening to this episode and sticking with it for the entire 45 minutes and interacting. I really appreciate that. And that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about interacting with people and providing some, you know, bits of knowledge. And so that way we can talk about these issues and, and these things together. So we can learn and grow from it. Uh, so, so thank you, Eric, for for commenting and and being on this. Oh, you want to call in? Here you go. Hopefully, it'll come on in. Great show you have here. Can you hear hey, me? Hey, thank you. Yeah, I can hear you. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed interacting with you this evening, and um, enjoyed some of the. The, the, the things that you spoke about and ho- hopefully anybody listening to this um, it re- really helps them in moving forward well Eric I, I really appreciate you saying that uh, you're actually the second I've only been on live twice and you're the second person to actually call into the show and talk so I appreciate you doing that and interacting hey real quick uh, so from your perspective could could you provide some feedback on where you've seen uh, what was valuable to you in places that you really saw having people first versus bottom line first? Well, I, I'm I'm not formally employed um, anywhere at this time, but I know as a as a customer, like like go, going to places because um, you know I always like to look for a um, like a people friendly in, environment that's. That that because I'm I'm a, the kind of person I'm all about treating people the way I want to be treated, which is dignity and respect, and 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 wanting to see people as, strive and aspire to be their very best. And um, of course, we we know life is always about making tough decisions, and that in life that we just can't live our lives feeling sorry for ourselves. That you know, that there you might even hear the saying in life, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, because it's not the end of the world. No, absolutely. Um, you, you know, suck it up, buttercup is, is a pretty good phrase. But hopefully nobody has said that to you and you've worked anywhere before. Um, I, I think that would probably be a kind of saying that, um, you, you know, you just got to keep moving along. Okay, so so I would say, have, have you worked anywhere that you thought that they got it right? And, and don't name the organization, please. Um, but w- what type of what were the things that that organization did right that made you feel valued as as somebody who worked there? Um, 
you know, you know, maybe make sure, you know, I, I think like some like volunteer work that I've done, you, even though I'm not formally employed, you know, um, you know, making sure like, like having like the, the resources needed and the tools to get the job done and, um, and having like good communication skills, like, like, like with the, with like the entity that you're working for volunteering for. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, communication is key in, in any organization, especially, um, you know, when, when people need to understand that message sent is not necessarily message received. Hey, Eric, you're breaking up, but I, I, I really appreciate you calling in. I mean, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, you know, and I, I appreciate spending time with you um, and uh, appreciated us, you know, ha- having this conversation and, and, and conversations like this definitely need to continue. Hey, Eric, well, thank you. I mean, that that that's why we're here. We're here to have this conversation about multiple topics. Um, and if there's a, an episode or a topic that you would like to hear uh, in the future, um, you know, please go ahead and leave a comment and let me know if you check out some of my other podcasts and you like those, you know, and something sparks an idea, definitely let me know about that. So that way I can, uh, talk about things that you want to hear about. Um, uh, uh, leadership is a passion of mine and, and people are a passion. And I think I, I've said this in the intro and you're going to hear it again in the outro here in like two, like two seconds is people deserve great leadership wherever you are whether it's in your home or whether it's at work people deserve great leadership so if there's something on your mind please comment and and let me know thank you for tuning into this episode i'm really glad that uh, you guys stopped by thank you this is tim staten with tim stating the obvious what is this podcast about it's simple you are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's to church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday relatable and usable advice.